some of the people uh, asked me online which books I'm using uh, for this series, and I just wanted to show you. Uh, one is called Ian by uh, C.G. Young, and you can get these all on Amazon. Another is Young on Christianity, and another is The Bible as a Dream by Murray Steen. And I'll post those uh, links on our YouTube channel later. But just wanted to share with you, some people want more Young, so that's good. So Carl Jung writes, he writes about Christianity, and he says, the Trinity, the Trinity uh, and its inner life process appear as a closed circle, a self-contained divine drama in which humankind plays, at most, a passive part. We all should know what the Trinity is, right? That's our God. At least that's what Christianity calls their God. Uh, It's the expression of the Christian God. And you know the parts, right? You have the Father. You have the Son. And then you have a Holy Ghost. Father, I get that. Son, I've heard that word before. I get that. But Holy Ghost. Never met a ghost before. What is that? When we say that God is a trinity, we're saying that God is a kind of relationship, a community that exists unto itself in this divine relationship that is made up of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I've always thought of the trinity as a kind of family, but it seems to be clouded in mystery as there's a ghost in it. Because while scripture never uses the word trinity, if you open your Bible, you'll never find that word. It is a construct. It's a construct of human interpretation. We said, oh, there's a Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We'll call that the trinity. But we see that the starring actors of the Bible, at least for us Christians, are God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Casper the friendly Holy Ghost. Do we even believe in ghosts as Christians? I always thought that was like a pagan and superstitious idea. But whatever the case, it seems like these are the cast of characters behind the meaning of the universe. The Father is God who created all things. Jesus looks up to him. Jesus is the God-man, the Son, who comes and saves us uh, sinners you know, us unworthy sinners from our foolish ways. And the Holy Ghost is the power behind Jesus and his revelation. So Carl Jung, when he looks at the Bible, he's not going to look at it as, as a Christian. He never says that he's a theologian. He says he would look like a fool trying to do that. He's going to look at it as a psychologist. And for him, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are symbols They're symbols that represent something going on within the human psyche. And uh, today we're going to look at that. And so we're going to look at the New Testament story, like Carl Jung did, to look at the life of Jesus, to do an overview. But without the systematic theology and dogma that begins almost immediately after Jesus. Carl Jung writes, you know, it's frankly disappointing to see how Paul hardly ever lets Jesus of Nazareth Get a word in. You know, Paul never quotes Jesus, doesn't talk about the gospel stories. Uh, even he, Young says, 
uh, Jesus is overloaded completely, or rather smothered, by metaphysical conceptions. Jesus is the ruler over the demonic forces. Jesus never said that. That's what Paul is going to say. He's the cosmic savior, the mediating God-man. Instead of Jesus telling us the story, you know, like Socrates, Jesus never wrote anything down, but the disciples, like Plato, wrote about Socrates. That's all we have of Jesus, is what people wrote about him, their interpretation of him. So when we read the New Testament letters, all we get is a picture of Jesus the ruler, Jesus the savior, Jesus the mediator between God and humankind. All phrases, all words, you're not going to find in, your, in the gospel stories. But today, let us not be so naive as to think that this story wasn't interpreted by other people. Uh, we're going to look at the New Testament story ourselves, just like Young did, and see the real Christ, the Christ without the Christian theology and dogmatics, because we're looking at it psychologically. Young says, when we do this, uh, the reason we have to do this is because otherwise the real Christ will have vanished behind our emotions and projections that swarmed about us near and far. So the story of Christ symbolizes the idea, now listen, I'm going to play with some words here, the story of Christ symbolizes the idea that God can become a human being or the other way around, that a human being can become a God. Jesus is the archetype of this idea. And if you don't know what archetype, uh, what that means, it's simply the original from which others will imitate. The idea that a human being, a self, like you and me, can become a God. That's what, that's what Christ represents because he's the archetype from which we are supposed to imitate. And Young points us to the gospel because this is an issue that pops up in scripture. We all say Jesus is God, but when he first came around, you know, that wasn't easy for him to pull off. In John chapter 10, we find a story where Jesus is rejected by the very community that he grew up in. And he's rejected when he utters the words no one dares utter. He says, the Father and I are one. And the people around him then picked up stones. And they were about to kill him. And their charge, as John records it, is this. We're not killing you, Jesus. It's not because we don't like you. It's not because you're a nice guy. We're not going to kill you because of the good works you've done. We're going to kill you because you are equating yourself with God. You are saying that you are God, Jesus, and that is what we have a problem with. That's blasphemous. And Jesus knew his Bible. John, uh, John over there, we had our very first conversation about this passage, and it comes up in this chapter, John chapter 10, verse 34, where Jesus quotes a psalm in response to the people who want to kill him for equating himself with God. And he says this, Isn't it written in your law, my friends, that God said, You are all gods? Jesus escapes the situation. He lives for a little bit longer. But this is the problem they had. 
that eventually catches up with Jesus. This is the problem that's going to lead them to hang him up on that cross up there. And why? Because Jesus was saying, when they asked him, who is God? He would say what? I am. And that had lots of undertones. So how does he become God? How does Jesus become God? Let's start with him. We all know the story of Jesus. You don't even have to be a Christian. You could just drive down the block in December, and you'll see a nativity scene. You'll see commercials on the TV. I don't know if we could say Merry Christmas anymore. I think we just have to say Happy Holidays. But you get it. There's presents and sales and Santa Claus. We all know the story of Jesus. uh, And Young points this out, that Jesus, right from the very beginning of his life, came into the world and was under attack. If you remember King Herod didn't want him so Jesus as a little kid poor little Abraham imagine imagine uh, I've had a dream that King Herod wants to come get rid of Abram I said we have to move down south we have to get out, get out get out of Greenwich Connecticut so Jesus had to escape right away soon he was he as soon as he was born as soon as he entered life and that's the kind of theme of Jesus's life is that he has to endure this life that he has to suffer in this world. He has to go through temptations. Uh, He has to uh, be rejected. He was beaten and broken. He was misunderstood. And ultimately, Jesus has to look death right in the face and tell it, you have no sting. I'm not afraid of you. The book of Hebrews sums up the whole story of Jesus for us, so we don't have to read the the whole Bible today. And it says, in the days of his flesh, here's what the Bible says. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. His life wasn't easy. Uh, He offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, listen to this. Everybody thinks Jesus just came Uh, was God for 30 years and just was chilling, you know, just chilling around as God, making cabinets, you know, working on, on his house. But listen to what Paul writes. He says he learned obedience. You know what learning means? It means you didn't know it before. Jesus, through his life, learned obedience through what he suffered. Is Jesus perfect? Listen to what Paul writes. And once being made perfect, Once, through all his trials and sufferings, once he was made perfect, he became, he wasn't already, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus suffered life, and that's what this life is. It's a type of suffering. I love our baby. I love the newborn life, but it is suffering. Trust me. (laughs) It doesn't... You can't get the glory without the suffering. So whether rich or poor, this life will be suffering. Ellie, it was easy to learn the piano, right? You just magically, no suffering at all. She just started playing. She was a Mozart, right? Anya, right? She was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but those classes, you know, it's all a suffering. You, go to the, you, just, you just go walk into the gym. It's, a, it's so nice to go in the gym. You lift the weights. it's almost like they're on cloud. No, it hurts. And if you haven't been there in a while, the next day, 
The next day, there's a little message in your body that says, don't ever take us back there again. It's called soreness. But there's a reward if you endure it. Right? We see this in everything. Whether rich or poor, life will be suffering. But Jesus, right, his story is he suffered because he knew who he was. But he had to learn who he was. It says he learned through obedience. He learned what life really was. And once he was made perfect, then he became the source. But the word perfect here doesn't mean Jesus never made a mistake. I would say, you know, whenever I say, you know, they say Jesus flipped the tables over. You know, Miss Jessica used to sit up a nice station of the cross out in, the, in Fletcher Hall. And the kids would come and we'd all celebrate Easter. Do you know when Jesus walked in and flipped over the tables? That would be the equivalent to him coming here on Easter Sunday and knocking over our flowers. You know, that, I'm sure all of us would not be happy with him. So that was, some could say Jesus maybe had a temper there. But the idea of perfection here is not perfect. It's wholeness. Once Jesus was made whole, uh, then he became what he was really meant to be, a human being made into a God. And then he became who? The guy we all come to church to learn from. Jesus became his true self in this life, not just a human being, but he became a God. And much like, you know, the story of Joseph, who had the coat of many colors, Remember, he told his brothers, I'm going to be greater than you. You're all going to worship me one day. And were they happy? No, they threw him in a ditch and tried to get rid of him. There's some foreshadowing here. Jesus came and said, I'm God, and I'm going to lead you all to the path of God. And what did his brothers do? Let's stone him. Let's get rid of him. Jesus believed he was God. And while that sounds okay to us today, it didn't sound good to the people back then. I'm prepping you for what I'm about to say. <laughs> it was the religious leaders who got really mad at Jesus. They tore their clothes when he said these words, I am. Remember what God's name was when he said to Moses? Moses said, what's your name? And God said, I am who I am. yud hey bab How dare he? How dare he say that? Jesus, over the course of this life, became himself. Transformed by his life. Transformed by his relationship with God and the Holy Ghost. Jesus went from being born of Mary and Joseph, human beings, to being born of gods. All done first by his earthly parents, then by his divine parents. And this is what the Holy Ghost and the Father truly represent. See, we have God the Father. We have Jesus the Son. And what's missing here? If I just hold my baby up and say, I made this baby, Father, Son, and a ghost. You would say, oh, I know what he's talking about. We have somebody missing from this picture. And I know what happened. We absolutely can't have a woman in the mix. 2,000 years ago, we can't. Maybe we can have Mary, but we can't have a God mother. 
that would throw a, a wrench into the gears. Let's just have a ghost, <laughs> a shadow, a mystery be held responsible for the birth of Jesus, the God-man. As I've said it many times to you before, the Holy Spirit in Hebrew is ruah, and it's feminine for woman, for mother. Carl Jung writes, why in the name that's all, not, why in the name of all that's wonderful wasn't it father, mother, and son? That would be more reasonable. That would make more sense. That would be more natural than father, son, Holy Ghost. But we know who wrote the stories, right? We know who had the final edit. Men. So Jesus was born of humans, but the story of Scripture tells us that it, Jesus was born of a trinity, a father and a mother spirit who would walk with this human being. They would suffer with him. They would speak to him in his prayers and reflections. When people wanted to stone him and Jesus wanted to quit, he would listen to them, say, keep going, my son, keep going. They would encourage him when he was down. They would lift him up when he was rejected. They would inspire him when he needed hope. And they would assure him that you won't really die, but that you will be born again into what he always knew he should be, a son of God. And that is what Jesus promises to us, to you and me. In John 1, right away it says, to all who receive Jesus, all who believe in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of the blood or of the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. He starts talking about this potential for human beings to also be turned into children of God. Young believed that the goal of human life was self-realization, this process called individuation. He saw Jesus representing the self-realized man, the man who, through the gospel stories, went through the process of individuation and came out what he always knew he was before, but he had to live it out. You ever believe something about yourself? You don't do it, and you find yourself depressed or anxious? It's because your anxiousness, your depression is telling you that you should be doing something else. It's a voice from within. Jesus followed that voice. Could Jesus have failed? Yes. They don't call it for temptation call it temptation and trials for nothing. You don't become a hero and a savior by not first going through the alchemical process of life. Life pulls us through something. You ever wonder what life is doing? What's it doing to us? Right? I was saying the other day to my daughter, I said, oh, let me tell you something about life. You grow up, you acquire knowledge, you acquire health, you acquire family. It's like this. <laughs> you start losing it then in the end. Is that really what this is all about? So you have to ask, what is this process for? Why do I go up and then come down? 
And I use the word that life takes us through something. Not just Jesus. That's what Christianity has done for 2,000 years. They just look at Jesus and say, you're the one. You did it, Jesus. So I'm going to just put all of my faith in you. My life's falling apart. I'm not doing what I'm called to do. But you did it. You did it. And all of my failures, I'm just going to throw them at you, and you're going to make them go away. We're going to be in for a rude awakening. Jesus might have to say, go back through life. (laughs) Go through that process again. Because life is doing something to us. And I use the word us very much on purpose. Jesus represents for young and for us an archetype. An archetype of the self. Remember archetype meaning the thing, the person in which all of us should imitate. For the process of individuation begins at birth by parents. And is it good for parents to stay home their whole life? Is that what? No. Remember what God said to Abraham? You got to leave. Remember Adam and Eve? Where were they? Adam was in the garden relaxing. The story doesn't start until Eve, you know, makes a mistake. That was the best thing that could have happened to Adam. Adam had to leave the garden because this would be the process through which he discovered who he was. So you must leave home once you come of age at some point. You must find your own way in this world. You must find yourself in this world. Jesus did it, but he's not going to do it for you. You must find your own mother and father above. You must become part of the divine family, for are we not called to be brothers and sisters in Christ? So Young uh, presents us with a new idea. You've heard of the Trinity. Young uses a new word, a quaternity. Four, a father, a mother, a son, and who else? Surely wretched people like you and me can't be part of that divine family. Do you think God's going to let us in all dirty and messed up? What do you think he has us here for? This is where you get your new clothes. This is where you learn who you are. The greatest trial is mortality. To live this life. Yes, we are broken sinners in need of a Savior, but Christ represents the true Savior. He became, became the Savior for himself. So if he's the archetype, who is your Savior? You. You are. Have you ever seen Christ do your homework? You had to do your homework. Did Christ go to work for you? You had to go to work. See, he's our savior in that he shows us, what did they call the original church? The way. He shows us the way. And he says, not many people are going to find it. Only a few. Because everybody wants Jesus to do it for them. Just like back in the day, they wanted a savior. They wanted King David to come back on the white horse with a sword and save them. Who does the saving? You. You do. 
You must go through your own trials. You must go through your own tribulations. He said it himself, you must carry your own cross. <laughs> Not mine. Jesus carried his own. And you have to carry your own. We must walk across the coals of hell and make our way into the divine family, into the Trinity. We are the shadows of Jesus. We must step, step out of that shadow and do what he did. And what's that? We've got to become ourselves. Sons, daughters, or whatever you identify as, you must become who you are in this life. You must accept the good and bad about who you are. Don't, don't lie. Don't pretend. Work through that. You must accept all that you are and undergo the slow cooking process of uniting this inner person with the outer. Yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm also a son. And I say those same words as Jesus. I too am one with the Father. And you can say them too. Nobody will tear their clothes like they did back then. And one day all of us, when Jesus and God and the Holy Mother look at you and say, who are you? You will say, I am. I am what I am. And what am I? What are you? We're people. I'm a son. I'm a father. I'm a human being, born not just of my father and mother's will, but I have left my home. I am, am still in the process of becoming my own man, my own self, my own savior, my own redeemer, my own hero, who will too, one day, God willing, be written down in the book of life. I too will look death in the face and say, where, O oh death, is your sting? This week, I looked in the mirror. I was, you know, I'm a philosopher by trade. <laughs> and I kept saying, I am alive. Oh, I, I wrote, I actually, you'll get a preview. I wrote an article for the paper, the Greenwich Sentinel, another one. And I said, I am dying. I am dying. I am a dying man. And I looked in the mirror and I said, you're dying. And I had this revelation. And as long as I can say I'm dying, I could say I am living. So I am living life to the full. The Stoics, that was their number, I think it's memento mori. Number one Stoic uh, phrase is, I am dying. That's the best alarm clock. That's the best kick in the pants to get, get through your work week. And one day I'll be placed in a tomb, for sure. But one day, my kids will say, he is not there. He is not in that body anymore. Sean is gone. He's no longer in his flesh. I'll have lived my life I'll have died, shed this skin, and where will I go? Well, Jesus tells us. Because he went there first. I didn't learn this on my own. My big brother, 
That's what big brothers are for. They go through it first. They come and say, this is what you're going to go through. It's going to be scary, but you're going to have to do it yourself. You ready? Young believed that this is what the gospel really was saying from a psychological perspective. Theologians can do what they like. But he said, psychologically, this is what the gospel represents. It's the story of how a human being gets mystically transformed. What are we from? The dust. How am I from the dust? Once the blood stops flowing, I go back into the dust, I fade away. How am I going to get transformed? The gospel represents the mystical transformation process. We call it alchemy. <laughs> how, this, how from the dust, from this short life, by the Father, by the love of the Father, I really hope we start changing this, the love of the Mother and the love of the Son above. How we get transformed into mortal, into immortal, newborn children of God. The Bible says when you enter into the kingdom of heaven, there's a giant party. That's what happens when newborns are, come into the kingdom. That you are now a fully individuated, a fully complete, whole, and perfect person. This is the modern way of seeing the gospel narrative that Young discovered. I've discovered it now too, and I'm presenting it for all of us today. May we go our own way. It's not going to be easy. If it was easy, then you wouldn't learn anything through it. Your body wouldn't be transformed through the process. May we go our own way. May we leave what's holding us down and find out who we are. Is this just for young people? Jesus was 30 when he left home. Abram was 100. Abram and Sarah. May we boldly allow Christ, the archetype of the self, to inspire us to find and become our own selves. Hold on to this truth no matter what, that you are being transformed by this life. And may one day, may, may we join the Trinity, turn it into a quaternity, a big old family. And may I find you in that place and see you after we shed this skin and find ourselves on the other side of life. Amen.
Teddy Roosevelt wrote something a long time ago. See, Ellie just sang a song about listening to God's voice. And then there's another voice, the enemy. But who are these voices coming from, really? You. They come from within. That's too hard. That's too difficult. I can't win. I can't make it. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt wrote this. He says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong person stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Weren't those the words she just sang in the song? Jesus sweat, blood, Sweat and tears. He, he fought through blood, sweat, and tears. He says, the person who strives valiantly, who makes mistakes, who comes up short again and again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, 
who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least, at least while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. Jesus died in the arena. And if he's the archetype of the self, then who are, where are we meant to die? In the arena, in this life. And we'll have died those who went down knowing what living truly was. I know that's a hard challenge. This morning, I faced it this morning. I faced it this very morning. I faced it when there was tech problems before service. I did it when I woke up tired. And I said, not today, Lord. I don't want to be like Christ today. (laughs) Maybe tomorrow. I'm too tired. And Christ spoke to me. He said, this is the day that you most have to do it. Let us pray. Holy Father, Holy Mother above, Holy Son who cries out to me, find me, find me, find me. May I find you. May I hold on to this cord, this cord of hope that leads me to you. That dream that I had when I was a kid to be a pastor Here I am. A friend said to me once, you're the guy who did what he said he would do. How many of us have left those dreams? Have compromised? Maybe find that dream again. Because it's that dream, the chasing of it, I will take us through the process. Jesus had a dream that he was the Son of God and he never let go of it, even unto death. May we be like Jesus. It's scary and crazy, but it's usually in those scary and crazy moments Those are the people that believe in God the most. (laughs) Write down your dream this week. Holy Spirit, help them remember. Help me remember, because Monday's coming. Remember what you called me to be. May we always remember it's never too late to start. When we live like this, that ancient prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, becomes ever the more powerful. We say, Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today my daily bread. Forgive me of my mistakes. Help me to forgive those of their mistakes. And lead me through temptations. And deliver me from evil. For yours is the power. And ours is the glory forever.
Well, go in the name of the Father, the Mother, and the Son. See you next week.